Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're starting off the week right. If not, still some time to make some adjustments. Uh, what do you got ahead of you? Put it on the calendar. Make sure you're carving out some time for self-care. Tons of joy and pleasure and uh, as much rest as possible. We can always build that into our day and we want to make sure we are. Uh, sometimes we got to kind of make them, uh, what do you call them? Like benchmarks throughout the day where, you know, every day during my lunch break, you do this, or when you get home, you make sure to carve out this, or maybe you leave work at a certain time, whatever it might be, uh, find ways to kind of build it in. It's been an interesting week. Um, looking back at last week, I wanted to talk about two things that happened. Uh, these kind of happened at the end of the week or over the weekend, uh, red table talk. I have not seen the show. That is what's hosted by Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife. Um, <clears throat> for those that aren't familiar with who she is. And uh, her and her daughter, Willow, had a guest on, Niecy Nash. And what I think has been so great about Niecy Nash's journey through life is this is someone who identified and saw themselves as heterosexual, met someone or was someone of the same gender, got married, married a woman. And she was like, look, might change my career. Some family members aren't so down with it, but this is who I am. And this is something that emerged later in life. And again, that's why I love the idea that sexuality is an open, fluid journey if we're willing to just be honest with um, what is and who we are. And that's why we see more people coming out later in life. But I think what was really powerful, and again, have not seen the episode, I tend to use you know anything uh, celebrity related as just a, a starting point to discuss a topic. Willow and Jada herself, themselves, uh, came out as saying, yeah, we also have had attraction to women. I love that. Let's keep talking more about it. That is how we normalize bisexuality, pansexuality, homosexuality, just sexual diversity, right? So I, I, I constantly, every day, I see more stories of more celebrities coming out. And that's going to be part of what's going to help the trickle-down effect of normalizing all these different identities and ways of being in the world. Um, also something I want to touch upon, and it's kind of somewhat of a love line, Dr. Chris first, I wanted to talk about the Kardashians. Chloe came out, um, again, did not do a deep dive into the story. So I'm talking topically, uh, please don't email me or DM me as y'all love to do sometimes saying that, you know, I didn't get something right in the story. I'm not a journalist or a news reporter. Uh, I'm a therapist. And basically Chloe came out saying, look, I'm putting out some untouched photos and discuss the journey and difficulty in acceptance of self around body and all that comes with that. And of course, controversy was sparked because people were saying, well, that's cool. This is coming from a woman who did a show about losing weight to feel better about yourself, has promoted diet products and weight loss products. And those are all part of the diet culture system, the toxic diet culture system. All of diet culture is toxic. Um, 
and really implies that we can't feel okay about ourselves and that we should all seek to have a different or smaller body. And so they're kind of saying, look, lady, you can't have it both ways. <clears throat> and I wanted to talk about this because I think that it's about holding um, opposites. And it's really difficult for us to do that as humans. We want to make someone or something all good or all bad. And people and a lot of things are often more complex than that. And this is an example of holding the tension of opposites, which is a very Jungian concept for our Jungians out there. But um, basically, she's both. On one hand, she's the victim of a system, right? Ageism beauty industry, looksism, um, also some sexism because of her gender is definitely in there. And this is someone who's felt uh, the pressure in the general world and the public eye of looking the way that she's thinking she needs to look to feel desirable and successful. And that's something that happens to literally everyone on the planet. We are, we are all in that system. But but we also can't complain about the systems that we perpetuate and strengthen. You can't perpetuate weight loss culture, gym culture, and toxic diet culture, the same system that harms you and other people, and keep making money off it and strengthening it and normalizing it, and then complain about the detrimental effects of it that it's had on you and tons of other people. Because as I look at the comments, a lot of people have been posting, they're saying, yeah, me and my family, my daughters, my children, my sons, we're all feeling the pressure of living up to these edited Photoshopped images that you, Chloe, keep putting out there that makes us all feel is the norm that we should align with. And then you support lollipops that, that create the decrease in hunger so we can starve ourselves and lose weight, which is the same system you're complaining that you're abused by. And so we have to do both. We have to allow humans to be humans and, and be a victim of a system and have feelings about that while also holding them accountable to not continuing to, par to participate, perpetuate, and strengthen that exact system, right? We need people to say, I'm not gonna participate. Right? I won't cooperate in that. right? And that's why I don't put my name or my work behind things that are about weight loss, calorie counting, or dieting, because that's not mental health at all. In fact, it's the opposite. It's us internalizing, again, the idea that our life's goal should be to look a certain way and that our, our level of attractiveness is what's most important, and it's not. And we're all trapped in that system. And so it's a call to action. How can we not perpetuate that. Let's, let's not post before and after pictures. Let's not glorify that weight loss is an achievement or we all need to do that. Let's stop editing our photos and normalize the reality of having all the things that come with being a human, fine lines, stretch marks, acne, body hair, blemishes. All these things are part of the diversity and creativity that make us beautiful in who we are. And let's stop supporting the industries that also torture us. Let's stop supporting diet culture and toxic forms of gym culture and move back to move your body because it's fun. Eat foods that make you feel good or that bring you joy because sometimes things that aren't good for you bring you joy, thereby making it good for you because mental health does matter, right? The pleasure that food can bring. We'll keep talking about it. It's an important topic. But coming up, uh, rest of the show, we're gonna be talking about sobriety and the ever important discussion of boundaries. What are they? How do we apply them? Stick around, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about changes in drinking habits and sobriety. That's right. You know, during the pandemic, a lot of people started drinking more, using drugs more. And uh, we've talked about that. But there's also been a flip where some people are 
starting to actually pay more attention to their forms of coping and choosing self-care instead. Remember, coping is anything you choose as a way to get through the day, to get through life, to deal with hardships. It can have a positive impact or a negative impact. It's pretty value-free, judgment-free. Self-care are things that are rooted in care. So they always leave us feeling better off. They make us better. They improve us or at least neutral. But they don't ever, ever have a negative side effect. Coping mechanisms can. They're anything. Self-care are only the positive ones. So some people have decided that they've decided, plant-based, I love that. I love more people going plant-based. It's better for your body. It's better for your mind. It's better for the environment. It's better for you spiritually. Um, it's ripping apart our, our planets when the number one causes of climate change. But drinking's been another one where a lot of people have decided to go sober. And I think that's phenomenal. But that will change a lot of elements of your life. So an article came out and it was a personal exploration of all the things that changed in someone's life when they got sober. And I thought they were really poignant and I wanted to kind of break some of them down. And I guess it's just calling that out on the front end. When you make powerful changes in your life, you decide to uh, get sober or um, maybe as we said in some other shows, California sober, which means you maybe smoke some weed for those that have it legal in their state and uh, you don't drink anymore though. Or you go plant-based. Um, even just starting to focus more on mental health or boundaries, it's gonna change your life. And that's the thing I wanna call it on the front end. That doesn't mean it's bad or wrong or not working. Any new behavior change that shifts your social life and your identity, like getting sober or not drinking anymore, you have to give it time. You have to give it at least maybe a year or more before it settles and you've started to reorient your life and reconnect with new people or reconnect with consistent prior people differently. So know that it's gonna be maybe a shift in the beginning. When I went vegan many, many, many years ago, I had to reorient my life a little bit. Now it's very familiar to me and I know how to navigate what I need. But stopping alcohol, um, I don't drink, really does change your life, your social life and your identity. But it takes time to settle into the new you. It takes time to settle into the way your life will operate. But again, just because it's you're losing some friends, things feel different, things feel uncomfortable, that doesn't mean it's not working or it's not right for you. You have to hang in there. Anything new, anything that's transformative or disruptive, let me say differently, anything that's new or transformative will most likely cause disruption and that is not a sign that it's bad, broken or not working. So I just wanna call that out. So the first thing to remember is your friendships will change. What does that mean? You'll lose some friends. Realizing that your life is only centered around drinking and that they're not interested in participating in sober activities or you get closer to certain people because they, they are sober themselves or they don't drink as much or they're the ones that are willing and want to spend time with you outside of all that. It really brings those good friends to the surface. I have some clients that are getting sober and uh, they put it even in their dating profile. They're only looking to date people that don't drink. They're tired of bars, they're tired of clubs, they're tired of the idea that alcohol has to be paired with every event and uh, they're looking for someone who understands the rest of the world. I once, when I was single, I'll never forget this, I had someone that didn't understand the fact that I didn't drink and wanted to know what I did for fun and I thought, this is saying so much about them. I do so much. I have so much fun and I don't drink and I don't go to bars or clubs and I was shook that they can't imagine a fun world outside of all of that. So shook by it and I realized, It'll never work. <laughs> this person lacked imagination or health to even understand that a whole world exists outside of all of that. Very, very distressing, but that's something you might have to deal with and go through. So again, your friends will change. You'll get closer to some, further from others, frustrate many, but you do it anyway. You do it anyway. Um, also, and I love that this person called it out in the article, when you do go out or when you do go out to eat, 
you start to change your orientation to the bill. You no longer just split it 50-50, especially when other people might be drinking and you didn't, and you realize that your bill is far less because you didn't drink any alcohol. And you say to them, hey, I'm gonna pay for my portion. I'm not comfortable paying for your drinking or your alcohol. Or as this person in the article said themselves, they're not comfortable participating and supporting big alcohol, which is my stance on you know, my veganism. I won't, I won't go to non-vegan restaurants and I won't pay for animal products. So uh, when I was in a prior relationship with someone who did eat animal products, I wouldn't go grocery shopping for them. I wasn't comfortable spending money and perpetuating the violence of that industry. And drinking's the same way for some people. I also won't buy people alcohol or, or purchase it. It's just something I stay outside of. Uh, I'm trying to move us away from normalizing alcohol, having to be present for every event. I, I remember even throwing a party that had no alcohol, and people were like, where's the booze? And I thought, wow, y'all really just don't know how to be present and vulnerable and intimate and have fun without it. You know what I mean? It was such a zinger. But you learn a lot, and that's why the social piece will change. And you might have to, again, when you're out with friends, say, hey, listen, I'm not, you know, not going to pay for you guys to drink. You guys do you, but I'm going to pay for my portion of the bill. And again, this goes back to our, um, a conversation we're going to have later in the show about boundaries. Um, that, that comes, that's about setting a healthy boundary and really good, healthy friends, supportive people will get that. They'll actually be happy to see you taking care of yourself. They'll be happy that you're sober, whether they knew that you had a problem or not, because they understand that that's not only a boundary, that's not only a form of self-care, that's not only a form of mental health, but there's also some adulthood in that. And this isn't, I'm not, I'm not meaning to slam drinking an alcohol for those that use it in a way that makes sense into their life and is healthy for them. I'm just talking and centering the people that don't drink and I'm, and I'm seeing it from their perspective out. And when you don't drink, you often do feel marginalized from the wider world. Every commercial involves alcohol, right? At every event, it's always paired. Every restaurant commercial has people drinking. So you start to really see how alcohol has to be present for everything or how people don't know how to celebrate without it. But yet us people that don't drink celebrate and party hard. We just don't need those things, right? We don't. We can let our shadow come out without needing alcohol or other things to sometimes give us permission, right? Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about what to expect if you're newly sober or you've newly changed your relationship to alcohol. Um, you know, don't panic. All right, and we'll be doing some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about what to expect if you're someone who's uh, changed your relationship to alcohol, removed it from your life, maybe you've gotten sober, maybe you're Cali sober, which means you don't do alcohol, but you'll smoke weed sometimes. I totally respect that. That's what some people are doing because just because alcohol isn't something that makes sense in your life or maybe just because you have an issue with alcohol doesn't mean you can't necessarily engage in other um, substances that are mood altering or add to fun. We're not knocking alcohol completely, although we do recognize that it's you know, part of, um, well, we'll get into that another day, but I just know that violence, domestic violence is often paired to alcohol use. We know about drunk driving. So we do want to get a little bit better about how we engage it uh, culturally, but uh, we're just acknowledging that there'll be a friend lost or a friend shift, getting closer to some, drifting for others uh, as people, you know, really show how meaningful and important alcohol is in their lives. I lost friends when I stopped drinking because I realized that some of my friends, that's really all they knew how to do socially. It was always about going to a bar and drinking. And when you don't want to do that, they don't really want to miss out on that. And they're not willing to uh, step away from that to do something else. <laughs> and also talk about how early dating, it was shocking to see how some people didn't understand how fun could exist without alcohol being involved. Um, anyway, pushing forward, you'll also start to realize that maybe you're more introverted than you thought you were. I used to label myself as highly social, 
but yeah, it was driven by alcohol. And now that I don't drink, I realize that I'm more thoughtful about who I spend time around, how long I spend time around and in certain places and even the places I'll go. I don't go to things that aren't going to be fun. I don't spend time around unfun people. I realize that sometimes I drank to make somewhere I wasn't really meant to be acceptable or a place that just wasn't fun. I had to force it to be fun. Now I just don't go or I leave or I change the way I'm showing up, right? Um, it's honest. It's more honest. I, that's what I think comes out of it. And you become more introverted or not. That's the thing. Like there's so many people that don't drink or drinking isn't as important. And there's, and if you do the sober route, there's a huge recovery community and all these people are still living in the world fully and traveling and having parties and doing things. And even if you still want to go to bars, there's a lot of people that go to bars and don't drink or they go to bars that are, and they're sober or they bring someone or they drink a seltzer. And there's so many ways to operate in this world. But for me, it makes more sense. I'm not a night person. I like getting up early. All the things I like to do actually don't really involve alcohol. Alcohol gets in the way. I was tired of hanging. Overs, I was tired of bad decision making, you know, create a lot of problems. And, you know, I prefer my life the way it is now. Um, so you might be more introverted than you thought. Socialization starts to really change the things you're willing to do, the places you're willing to go. Um, and then, of course, it comes down to what are you going to tell people? That's right, because people will often make a big deal about it. Not everyone will understand, not everyone even needs to understand. And you get to decide your explanation or even if you explain it at all. Sometimes you just say, I don't drink and you don't get into it any deeper. Other people, maybe add a little bit more to it. Yeah, it made my life complicated. You know, it's up to you. People have to earn their way into learning about the more vulnerable, private, personal parts of ourselves. We don't have to bring someone right in, right? We get to say, I'm not comfortable saying more, or let's talk about it another time, or I don't really want to open it up in this, you know, in this space where I don't know everyone that's present, you know? Hold on to that. And again, let your friends know that it's really something that's important to you because people will still maybe offer. And not everyone understands what it means when you say you don't drink. And sometimes they'll say something, well, just have a wine cooler, just have a beer. And you're like, no, I don't drink. Because <laughs> they can't always fathom that. And it's been really important for a lot of people I'm working with that are getting sober or changing their relationship to alcohol to have something in their hand, right? They blend in, they feel part of, and they're also used to holding something and drinking something. Get water, get seltzer, get a juice, get a mocktail. You know, a cocktail that's made the same way, but without the alcohol, right? Just so you feel like you're participating, you know, maybe get a Red Bull. Um, I usually tend to drink water, actually, you know, and it makes me feel better. I put some lemon or lime in there. It looks like a cocktail, but I actually leave feeling better and more hydrated. I like the conversations I'm having. It's changed the quality of people I'm spending time around, you know? And yes, yes, you will learn to have sex and intimacy while sober. It's scary at first, but again, like everything else, it gets easier and it'll change the kind of people and the ways you're relating to people. Um, but it'll, it'll change the way dating happens. If you know, a lot of people, especially in certain age brackets, fun or a date for them is grabbing a drink or going to dinner and having drinks or whatever it might be. And it'll start to kind of shift, but you'll really learn who really wants to get to know you and spend time with you because they won't mind going to the movies, going to a gallery, a museum, the beach, hiking for a walk, um, playing sports, going shopping, just going to a dinner without alcohol. They'll be present and able and willing to do all of that. You know, and you have a right to set a boundary around people's use of alcohol around you. You decide your comfort, but I'm not one of those people who wants to be around people that are getting drunk when I'm not drinking. Someone wants to have a cocktail or two, I'm totally cool for that. But when I'm not able to relate to them and they've started to get intoxicated, that's when I know it's time to go. Or I talk about and call that out ahead of time so that no one's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Because this is supposed to be something that's you know, meaningful makes sense to you. But again, I think the most important point is to know that it will change your life. It will change your social world and you have to give it time. You can't pull the trigger, 
stop drinking, change your relationship to alcohol, and then just think that within a couple weeks or months, you're going to find your place in your space and the right people. It can take a year or more. Hang in there. It's worth it. It's, it's a little bit of a journey for some in the beginning, but that doesn't mean it's not working. Some people get into 12-step programs, right? And that can give them a sober world. And other people, it's not about addiction or they don't like using the word alcoholic. And for them, they just, quote, unquote, don't drink. And um, they, you know, it orients things. But, you know, try it. If you're curious about it or think you need it, try it. It's going to make your life better. I don't know anyone whose life was made worse by not drinking. I'm sure there's a few examples out there, but I'm not familiar with them. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alicia and I'm a twin. I say that because I'm starting to realize that I have a problem with being alone. I hop from one relationship to the next and I get emotionally attached so fast to people. Um, is this normal? How about for a twin? Well, a thousand, thousand things in here. Um, you know, (laughs) there might be some commonalities between twins. Uh, maybe you're used to growing up very closely with someone, but that can happen with, uh, non twin or non identical twin, you know, siblings. Um, I, I guess I really want to focus more on the fact that you're often in a relationship and that you emotionally attach fast. I'm one of those people that does not problematize that. Some we, we all move at different speeds. Maybe you're one of those people where you know you have every um, exclusionary privilege going for you and you constantly are seen as desirable and attractive to people and you're constantly dating. That happens. Uh, I'm always in a relationship. I tend to be one of those people where I don't go very long without being in a committed romantic relationship. I meet a lot of great people. I have great relational skill sets. And um, I don't tend to be single for very often. I get asked out a lot. And that isn't a pathological thing. Um, When people I'm interested in present themselves and I'm available and they ask me out, I say yes. So, uh, and again, you're allowed to move fast. Here's what it's really about. If you're being compassionate, and you're setting boundaries and you're looking out for yourself, I don't care what you do. There's no, there's not necessarily more valor or mental health in moving very, very slow. I think some people move too slow, but then for some people they might move faster than they should move, right? So it's not, it's not a hard line either way. Um, if you're an adult and you are conscious and you are compassionate and you are setting the boundaries that are needed, you'll take care of yourself. And if you're moving too fast and upon working your way in, you're realizing that it's not a match, well, then you you, you take care of yourself and you exit. I mean, what I really want people to hear is that compatib- uh, assessing compatibility takes time, right? Chemistry is immediate, right? You're drawn to them, you find them attractive, you have, you have lust in your heart. Um, but compatibility takes time because it's really about figuring out what happens when our personalities come together, right? So we have to have conflict, we have to go through different uh, social milestones, you know, maybe meeting family, meeting friends. Those are the elements that really bring up compatibility, difficulty, complexity, uh, even the mundane, you know? So in the beginning, it's all about fun. Um, but if you're constantly in a relationship, I'm not going to say you're afraid of being alone because if you're, if you're, if you are looking and, and wanting to practice singledom, learn how to be single for long periods of time. But if you're someone like me who is a relationally driven and values relationship and connection and intimacy and closeness, well then I don't want you to practice being single because that's not a goal you have. Um, and this is where I get into a battle with a lot of people. It's okay to value relationship. It's okay to value intimacy. 
um, it's okay to be one of those people who thrives and does better when you have partnership. Just like it's okay to choose singledom. It's okay to be in relationships, but always working towards being single again, right? Neither direction is healthier or far better. And people move at different speeds based on their attachment style, based on their level of interest, based on what's going on in their life, based on the fantasy they have of what they're working towards. So we want to just be very thoughtful about looking at the health of the people and the person, and that will determine the health of the relationship. So again, you can go from relationship to relationship. You can get right back into a new one as soon as one ends. But as long as you're healthy and the people you're dating are healthy, all will be well. Because if it turns out that it wasn't a good match, you'll lovingly work yourself out and you'll leave, right? So it's always about the health of the people, not the speed, not how soon. Um, and we use words like, you know, rebounds and all that, but that's not accurate or applicable for everyone. There's no magical formula of how long you need to be single. There's no magical formula of how long you need to wait to date. None of those things are real. They cannot be applied universally to everyone. Again, if you're a healthy person, live your life at the speed that makes sense to you. And I trust that you'll manage and figure out things as they emerge and they come up. I, I'm never thrown off by that. Um, speaking of which, coming up next, we're going to talk about boundaries. So stick around. It's something that a lot of people don't understand. And now we're realizing if you're tired and burnt out and stressed, it's most likely a boundary issue. Got a lot of anger and resentment in your life, also most likely a boundary issue. So we're going to talk about what that means, what they look like, how to apply them. And then, of course, we'll be uh, closing out with some more DMs. So stick around and join us. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about boundaries, something that I'm still learning a lot about. It's interesting. There's certain topics that um, you think you know what these things mean. Self-care was one of them. That's why I'm constantly spending time really diving deep into that one. But boundary setting is another one. And what's interesting is the more I work with uh, individuals and boundary setting, you start to realize that a lot of things we struggle with are actually boundary issues. Uh, we attribute them to maybe personal failings or... Actually, that's one of the number one things we do contribute it to, uh, personal failings. And we don't realize that um, it's often that we're allowing other people to really have poor boundaries with us. More importantly, we haven't set important, solid boundaries with others. So, um, gosh, where do we even begin to get into this? Uh, so boundaries are important. It's, it's one of the gold standards, I think, of mental health, right, is being able to take care of yourself. Now, something you want to remember is we have we essentially... I'm going to try to give you a lot of different metaphors and visuals, but when we, when we talk about boundaries, we have two. One of them protects um, ourselves from others. Maybe that's the more outer. But then we also have a second boundary, which protects others from us. And we have to think about both. We want to always have that one boundary that's more internal, which is about us considering what we're about to say, what we're about to do, how we'll impact those that we care about, but that's an important boundary. We're gonna talk more about the other one, the more outer one, which is us protecting ourselves from others. And again, it's not that it implies everyone has malicious intent, it's just that not everyone's considering boundaries, not everyone's looking at how what they're saying or doing is impacting those around them, and some people just don't know any better. You know, a lot of things have gotten really normalized, right? A lot of boundarylessness has gotten normalized because you're a parent, they might say, or, Whatever it is, you know what I mean? We throw around these different labels, which somehow translate in our mind to, I'm not really allowed to take care of myself when around this person. And remember, the caveat's always, healthy people will respect your boundaries. They really will. Helps you start to realize how, how few, uh, how few of individuals in our lives might really be healthy to understand boundaries. The more I work with them and set them in my own life, 
you know, it's very few people that are that healthy. Other people kind of fall more in the gray area. Um, they're not familiar with boundaries. They might push back on it. And that's why, we, we, you know, remember when we're setting boundaries, we set it and we hold it. Because other people maybe aren't familiar with us setting a boundary or aren't familiar with us setting that specific boundary or they don't care. <laughs> and so um, we have to be responsible for both setting the boundary and holding it. And we really, really learn about our health and the health of those in our lives based on how they respond to us when we set a boundary. And, and you have to set a boundary with everyone. Um, it, we live in certain relationships in our lives where people are trained to believe they're not allowed to have boundaries, but let's start even with our early lives. I do want parents to allow children to have some boundaries. Children should be allowed to have boundaries around who touches them and how they're touched. We talk a lot about that. They have to train children to say, hey, if you wanna say hello to so-and-so, if you wanna give them a hug or shake their hand, that's great, but if you don't, that's okay as well. You're training them to have boundaries around physical touch because we're gonna talk about all the different kinds of boundaries that even exist. Um, but we, we wanna start in childhood. But it's really hard when then you get into something like school where people often, you know, individual students aren't really believed to have boundaries. You're not allowed to decide when to go to the bathroom. You have to ask permission. You're not allowed really to decide about sitting. You're told where to sit and you have to sit still. So it becomes really funky where we're trying to train individuals to have boundaries, but then telling them there's certain environments where you don't get to have them anymore. And that's not true. And so children and students and adolescents should have boundaries. They should get to. And then we move into employment where employees should get to set boundaries with employers and managers and supervisors. But yet again, we're trained to believe that that's a space where we're not allowed. And it gets hard because basic needs are on the line when we're talking about employment. But you get to set boundaries with your teachers. You get to set boundaries with your managers, employers, and supervisors. You get to set boundaries with your parents. You get to set boundaries with your children. You get to set boundaries with your husband or wife. We can set them with everyone. That is the core of mental health, is taking care of yourself. Others aren't always gonna prioritize your needs. Teachers, their goal is to get through the curriculum. Employers, their goal is to get their company money. Parents, their job is often to keep their children safe, but also to not be made uncomfortable by their children's behavior. And husband and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends is often the same thing. We set certain boundaries so we don't feel out of control or threatened. We set boundaries around our safety, not around what's maybe best for the other. So it's a little bit of a reorientation. But again, remember, um, do we have time? Yeah, we have some, some more time. Um, a lot of the issues we deal with are actually boundary issues. Uh, so let's talk about what some of those might be. Number one, um, conflict with others. A lot of the conflict we have with others is around us not setting boundaries about what we'll talk about, what we'll allow, what we're willing to do, right? What can be expected of us. So start to think of it in that lens. If you have a lot of conflict or current conflict, Ask yourself, is it maybe about someone needing to set a boundary or having not set a boundary? Time management. Often it's not that you're not managing your time well. Often it's that you haven't set a boundary with whoever's asking you to do certain things. Sometimes you have to set a boundary saying, unfortunately, I don't have time for that. Or unfortunately, there isn't enough time for that. And it's not that you're failing at time management. It's that there's too much being requested of you or the wrong things being requested of you. I've learned to do that. I've had to set, start to set boundaries around my time because I was realizing that I was allowing other people to keep piling things on top of my pile, not realizing what else was on that pile and that they were just asking and I had to be willing to say no because I was the only one that was aware of how many things were going on in that day or in that time period, right? And you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to deal with that discomfort of um, letting someone down. We're gonna take a little break and when we come back though, we're gonna keep talking about boundaries. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about boundaries and we're talking about some of the different experiences that we tend to miss um, 
tend to miscalculate or tend to mislabel as maybe being an issue with us when it's really a boundary issue. We're talking about time management, for instance. And time management's also, uh, I'm sorry, time management's often actually a boundary issue where you're not telling people, no, I can't take on any more or I can't get that done on that timeline, right? Um, also things like, God, here's a rough one. Not feeling like you're having enough time for yourself falls under that. A lot of boundary violations are about you not saying no. Start practicing saying no, tracking when you feel like you should have, right? Or when you could have, or when you needed to, or when you even did. But that's what a lot of boundaries are about is just saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or I can't do that on that timetable. Or I can't do that right now. Or I can't do that in that way. Uh, burnout is actually a boundary issue. We'll say it's an issue with self-care and in some ways it could be, but sometimes it's just that you're not again saying no, pushing back, limiting some of your involvement and prioritizing other things. Uh, resentments, that's another big one. If you have a resentment about someone or something, often it's because you didn't set a boundary. You let them do something you didn't want them to do or you allowed something to maybe happen. That can sometimes be part of that, right? So again, a lot of boundary issues um, are, are what we mistake as being a whole multitude of other things, right? And let's talk about, I guess, some of the different types of boundaries. So physical boundaries are the ones that I think are the easiest to really work on and acknowledge and see, and that's about personal space and touch. Physical boundaries are about who you touch, who you allow to touch you, how close you allow people to be. And we wanna think about that. You don't have to hug someone. It's okay if someone tries to hug you to say, I'm gonna stop you, I'm sorry, I'm not a hugger. It's okay to not shake hands. I'm, I'm moving forward, most likely not gonna shake hands anymore. It never felt really honest or comfortable for me. Either I know someone well enough and I'll ask if they hug and I'll hug them or I'm okay not making physical contact all the time. And you have to be willing to disappoint or frustrate people because people will sometimes expect you to go along with, let's say, professionalism, which says you, you shake everyone's hand, but I, I won't. I don't do professionalism. I do mental health. And that sometimes means saying no to certain things. And so it's okay to say no to how close someone's sitting or where you're sitting. I've done that as well. I feel very overwhelmed when I'm squeezed in and I'll ask for a chair on the outside. And I know some people are saying, you know, a lot of privilege comes in that with that. And you're right, it does. But I, but part of my, my me using my privilege is normalizing that, those options. And I want everyone to try to take advantage of that. Hey, thank you. I'm going to actually sit outside of the circle, you know, or thank you. I'm actually going to move my chair over here. Or, oh, it's very nice to meet you, but I don't shake hands. And it's okay to disappoint and frustrate people. Often they will. That's actually how you know you're setting a boundary sometimes, is when people are frustrated or disappointed. But the healthier ones will follow up and saying, hey, thank you, though, for taking care of yourself. I understand that. You know, but we really know we're setting boundaries and saying no and asking for it when you were frustrating people. But that's physical boundaries. Then we talk about sexual. You know, that's something that's also a little more familiar to us about how you allow yourself to be spoken to and the topics that are spoken about. And again, the touch. So physical and sexual, we're pretty clear with. But how about intellectual and emotional, right? And that usually falls under like invasion of privacy, name calling, gossiping, people sharing too much. It's okay to say to someone, wow, I'm going to stop you. I, I don't know you that well. And I'm not comfortable with how much you're sharing. Or, hey, you know what? That's not that name or that the languaging isn't comfortable for me. I don't want to, I'm not okay being part of a conversation where those words are used. Or invasions of privacy, saying your partner, you know what? You know, you, you are not allowed to go through my phone. I'm allowed to have privacy and boundaries. I'm not comfortable with that. If there's things I want to share with you, I will. The intellectual and emotional get a little funky. 
Because again, we're used to just going along with things, maybe participating in conversations that we're not comfortable with. Gossip's a big one. I always stop gossip. I'll say, I don't know that they wanted you to share that with me. I'm not comfortable talking about that. Even on Loveline, I won't do gossip. I, I'm not going to report on the lives of celebrities unless they themselves have come out talking about it, right? Because that's gossip. That's harm. We're, also, we're often talking very poorly about these people. And again, we have to be very thoughtful about that, but we can be, we can weigh in on that. So again, think about that emotional or intellectual boundaries. Do you feel like someone's asking for emotional label, your labor you're not ready for, you know, where you can, someone can be asking for advice and you can say, you know, I just worked a really long, hard day. Can we talk about something else? Maybe tomorrow or later today, when I have more time and energy, I'm happy to be present and give you advice right? It's, it, it's a little vague, but we have to work with that one. And then finally, I think a big one is time boundaries, how you manage your time, how you allow others to use your time, work life balance, people trying to request free work or free labor. Some industries have a lot more of that. Um, I see that a lot in my field where people just want you to hold their hand through things or they want free therapy or they want free expertise. And, you know, some like myself, that's my labor, that's emotional labor. And that's also my, my profession. And so I get very tired sitting and occupying that intellectual or emotional space and I get paid for that. And so it's, I have to always set that boundary with people outside of my job saying, oh, well, listen, it really actually sounds like you want therapy. Feel free to email me professionally, make an appointment. Because I don't, you know, I don't add this last part, but it implies I don't do free labor or you can't expect free labor or being a therapist doesn't mean I have no boundaries and just am present with anyone and everyone at all times to whatever they want. You know, even in my DMs, I'll often just not acknowledge some of the messaging that's coming in because people want free therapy. And, and it's even harder for some people that are authors or writers or scientists or experts or scholars when they've literally written books or put articles out and people don't want to do that work. They want that free, easy access. So time boundaries is big. We have to be very careful about how we let other people take advantage and use our time, right? And if they want free labor and work. You can even see that sometimes at employment where people somehow think if you're doing one job, they can just ask for all these other additional things for free. No, ask them what their budget is for that. Your time matters. That's also your intellectual and emotional labor, you know? And remember, even if it's, we, we allow these things like, what's well, my parent, it's my brother, it's my, my husband or wife, you still get to have boundaries with those people. No, no, no one in your life gets to demand or expect boundaryless, boundarylessness, no one. No one, no one, no one has allowed, is allowed to have that kind of a negative impact on your mental health, you know? Really important stuff. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about boundaries. And then, of course, we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Always open, always hear from you. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about boundaries, kind of doing a uh, rushed, crashed course through boundaries. And we're talking about how a lot of psychological issues, especially conflict in any relationship you're in, is often a result of uh, not having boundaries or not having good ones. We haven't said no, we haven't asked for what we needed, or the other individual hasn't. And the thing is about boundaries is we can't assume them. They're, everyone might have their own differing, differing boundaries. And so it's really about asserting a boundary, and then you can just decide someone's boundaries based on how they respond to yours, right? You say no to something or say you're not available, their response will tell you their health around boundaries. Um, but a lot of issues are really boundary issues, right? So if we're feeling burnt out, 
Um, it's probably a boundary issue. You're not saying no to things. You're taking on too much. You're not really doing a work-life balance with, with whatever falls into those categories. Not taking time for self-care. A lot of conflict, like I said. Um, a lot of resentment. If you're feeling resentful at someone or something, it might be because you didn't ask for what you needed or speak your truth or you didn't set a boundary or needed to say no or ask for it differently somehow. Um, and of course, we talked about all the different kinds of boundaries, intellectual and emotional. There's physical and sexual. But more importantly, these days, it's more about time boundaries. And boundaries usually are about really kind of saying no, you know, saying what you're open to, what you're not open to. Um, also deciding how people, you know, interact around you. Um, so let's just talk also, though, about the two different kinds of boundaries, because you know, again, my producer last week shared a meme with me and it was really profound for me where someone was calling out how some people will misuse these concepts and they'll really use that as a way to not show up for important people for th that are in their lives. And, I, and again, I want us to think collectively. I'm all about getting away from rigid individualism and I want us to be there for others and we are responsible for others. That's not codependency. That's understanding um, relationship. That's understanding socialization. That's understanding family. That's understanding community, collective consciousness. We're all interconnected and impact each other, whether you believe it or see it or not. We, we are not isolated individuals, right? Um, and we draw these arbitrary boundaries as we've talked about. My family, your family. My street, your street. My neighborhood, your neighborhood. My city, your city. My state versus your state. My country versus your country. We can draw the line and go as far as we want, but they're all arbitrary. We're all interconnected. So it's about are our boundaries too rigid and firm or are they too porous um, and fragile? And we want neither. It's really about that in-between balance. So having no boundaries or very fragile, flimsy boundaries is about answering questions you're not comfortable answering, letting people force you or drag you into conversations you're not comfortable having. That's having no boundaries where you need to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable answering that. I'm not comfortable talking about that. I'm not comfortable talking about that individual because they're not here, right? Um, codependency, as some people call, can be the boundary issue. Not feeling solid or able to say no. Um, a lot of people pleasing is a boundary issue where you're not willing to let people down and disappoint them because that's a sign we're setting boundaries, right? Um, but then our boundaries being too rigid is when we have tons and tons of rules or our boundaries feel harsh, even sometimes to us. If we're trying to control someone, that's having too rigid of boundaries. They shouldn't be about controlling anyone. They should be about keeping us safe. So having too many rules, um, never really being intimate and opening up can be a little bit too firm of a boundary, too rigid. Uh, avoiding vulnerability and intimacy, right? That can be too rigid of a boundary. We might know people where they never let us know what they're thinking or feeling. We don't feel like we're really connecting. Their boundaries are too rigid. They need to actually make them a little more porous or a little more flexible, kind of let people in. Um, other examples are just cutting people out immediately if they upset you. We all have those friends where someone upsets them and they're like, they're not my friend anymore. It's like, wow, it doesn't work like that. That's a little too boundaried. We have to let people mess up and then come back and apologize or take accountability and then we bring them back in, right? Uh, we also have to let people know that they disappointed us and we have to be willing to actually have that conversation and say to them, can we talk about what just happened? But if you're always just kicking people out for the smallest infractions or even the biggest ones, that's too rigid of boundaries. You're actually not a very safe person socially. Um, having expectations that are just way too high. Um, but it's always about that harshness. Remember, we're always thinking relationally, which is I'm saying and doing things so that people feel safe and are able to be present in my life. If your boundaries are making you unable to be in people's lives and people unable to continue to be in your lives fully and over length of time, then there's a boundary issue on one of your sides, truly, 
right? Um, and again, healthy people will allow boundaries, even if it frustrates them and disappoints them. And that's a sign we know we're really doing it. And so move into the new year, examining, you know, call out a few areas. That's what the work looks like saying with who or where do I need to have better boundaries? Where do I see, need to say no? Where do I need to limit my accessibility? I've stopped checking my emails as frequently as I did. I realized I don't need to be that accessible, right? And I, and I offer that to inspire others. I check it maybe three times a day max. I, I'm not on call. I don't do crisis work. You know what I mean? I have to trust that people can, can take time and have other resources. And if not, we talk about that. I, I don't need to be available to anyone immediately. I also keep my phone off all the time because I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing or the people I'm with. And I'm working on taking more vacations as much as possible. These are all the ways that we really center ourselves and we have like a balance. I want everyone to have the needed access to me. I'm a family member. I'm in a romantic relationship. I have a lot of friends. My career is vast, all these different pieces and they all have to find a way to fit in, right? So it's about examining and just take some time and during the break and examine what with, with who or where do I need to set some more boundaries saying no or the opposite having healthy boundaries might be letting people in more or being more accessible or more available really look at that uh, we're gonna take a break when we come back we're gonna um, slide into those dms you listen to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and odyssey All right, we're back, and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, do you have any resources for the teen LGBTQIA community? My 13-year-old nephew just came out to his parents. My brother and his wife, who are a little less supportive than I am, I want to help him go through this. Thank you. So who do you need the resources for? Not, not the nephew. The nephew doesn't need to be doing anything. It looks like the parents. Are they asking for resources or are you asking? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know who the resources are for. Um, I would say more importantly, I don't know what city or state you're in. I would find a uh, local, local or as close as you can LGBTQIA center. They offer all sorts of support, including psychotherapy, um, groups for parents, health and mental health services. So I'd get connected to an organization. If the family themselves are struggling, yes, they need that. Um, tons of books. I don't have a specific website that I work with. I don't want to recommend something that I'm not familiar with. Um, some of the LGBTQIA organizations actually aren't trans supportive, right? We have groups like the HRC that historically have not been very trans supportive. So I'm not going to recommend any references or sites or resources. I'm very cautious about doing so. But the best I can offer is to get the family the, the care they need. The, the child came out, the child most likely is building community and if not get them connected, but um, it's on the parents. You know, at a, age 13, your mental health is deeply tied to the health of the people you're spending time around. And if the parents are not supportive, um, you might need to get that 13 year old housing somewhere else because if the parents are homophobic and not doing their job as a parent, which is to be loving and supportive of whoever their child turns out to be, um, which is like a side note, it, it hurts my heart that parents aren't prepared for the possibility of their child being gay or trans. That is part of how the world operates. We need to be prepared, right? Like all parents should be aware that you might have a child who doesn't fulfill the vision you had of cis heteronormativity and your job 
<laughs> is to be prepared for that possibility, right? And give your child what they need. So if this child is in a toxic family environment, yes, that child might need to be taken out. And I hope you are someone who can maybe house them. So I don't know what resources you're speaking about. I don't know who you want the resources for, but as someone who is helping manage this situation, um, ask the child what they need. I'm hoping they've been connected to community, even at 13. If you're gay or trans, you need gay or trans friends and community. And maybe that's the local, like I said, uh, uh, LGBTQIA center where they do have uh, programs for children. But again, if it's for the parents, there's a lot of resources available there. It might be helpful for them to join a therapy group or some kind of non-professional group that is other parents so they can get support and they can understand what the special needs are. You know, things are better these days, thankfully. Um, gosh, if this was decades ago, there was a lot less support and a lot less resources. But uh, yeah, parents have to be more prepared. We never know what kind of child we're bringing into the world, right? And we have to be able to provide the needs um, that they have, not what we have. You know, parenting isn't about us. So I wish parents would step up and be better. But I'm glad that they have you because we do know, stats show, that if a uh, trans or gay child has at least one caring, supportive adult, that significantly reduces both suicidality and mental health struggles, which is really disheartening that that's even a thing at this point in our time. You know, how can everyone else help? Well, the rest of the world and everyone listening can help by trying to call out and dismantle homophobia and also get rid of the whole idea of a closet, the assumption that everyone's straight and that someone who isn't has to come out and define themselves as such. Let's stop assuming that. Um, I made it my plan that I'm not going to assume anyone's anything. And regardless of who I'm talking to, I will use words like your boy or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like I'm not going to assume anyone's anything, right? That's part of how we do the work of dismantling that. You don't make assumptions of about someone's gender, uh, pronouns, or sexual orientation based on just looking at them, right? That's how we do that work. And we have to do that work on a macro and a micro level, right? Micro, literally the people we're interfacing with. Macro, making those larger changes, right? We're seeing that in media, so that's great. That'll help that family start to have another vision and a better understanding of what, what life can look like and needs to look like. But um, I'm glad you're asking. That is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. We got a great show planned for you. Uh, we're actually one of the first people to get an interview with Ian Jenkins. He is part of that polyamorous couple, three men, all raising children together. He's got a book coming out. We'll be talking about that tomorrow as well as getting all of their names on the birth certificate. That is phenomenal. We love hearing things like that happening. So if you've got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Please spend the rest of your night focusing on self-care, joy, pleasure, and tons and tons of rest. And as always, thanks for hanging out. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow night.